0: Well, if you're here this morning and you feel like your walk with Jesus is in a lethargic state and you're just kind of barely hanging on and barely getting by, then this message and this text is for you. If you're here this morning and you're crushing it and your walk with the Lord has never been better, you're, step, you're walking step by step with him, this message is for you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know where you stand with Jesus, you don't even know if the guy existed or if you want to know him if he did, then this passage and this message is for you. Anywhere in between, wherever you're at or not at with God this morning, the message is for you. We're working through the book of Mark and we're continuing to do that this morning in our series called Amazed. And it is true, right, that we've seen some amazing things happen. If you were here last week or you tuned in online, you'll remember that Dan walked us through the story of Jesus calming the storm as he and the disciples were headed to the other side of the sea. The disciples, right after watching Jesus command the wind and the waves, were overwhelmed by the power and glory of Jesus and his authority. And after the passage concluded, it it concluded with a question that's the title of our message this morning. The disciples asked, who then is this? Who then is this? This Jesus, the one who even the wind and the waves obey." We'll be picking up this morning with Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. But while you're turning there, I'm going to do a quick recap of the scene and kind of what's happened up until this point. So Jesus was uh, healing all sorts of people and then he moved into this uh, part where he was teaching the crowds in parables, right? He uh, then calls his disciples, as I said, into a boat where they head to the other side of the sea to do ministry there. As we saw last week, that storm overwhelms the boat and all these fishermen that are the disciples think, oh no, the boat's going to sink. And so Jesus is awakened. He was sleeping below deck. He's awakened by his disciples in their fear and he demonstrates that he is powerful over the storm. When he speaks and just like that, the wind and the waves stop. In a text that we're not going to cover, so between last week and this week's section, Jesus arrives on the other side of the sea and he's greeted by a man with an unclean spirit. I'd encourage you to check out this story later because it's a good one, um, but we're not going to cover it. But because of being filled with this unclean spirit, uh, when Jesus and the disciples arrive, the man is a sight that we would struggle to see. He lived in the tombs. It's kind of creepy, right? This guy lives in the tombs. He couldn't be restrained by chains. He was so jacked that every time they tried to chain him up and put shackles on, he would just rip the chains apart and smash the shackles on his wrists and ankles. He was spiritually tormented so badly that he would cry out all day and all night. And as he tries to deal with that, he cuts his body with stones. It's a gruesome, sight, right? And then Jesus shows up, and in a word, he sends the unclean spirits, legion, they're called, into a herd of pigs, and he sets this man free, just like that. It's an amazing story, and you should read it later, but in it, we see that Jesus is powerful over the supernatural, Then, we come to our text this morning, and uh, we don't know how much time has passed while all this happened, right? Jesus went to the other side of the sea, he he calmed this storm, he cast out these demons, and now we're going to see two more things. But this is all the same scene, so to speak, in the book of Mark. It's all framed around this same question to help us wrestle with what the disciples asked, who then is this? So, if you're not already there, uh, turn to Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 21 to 43. I'll be preaching from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, if you're doing it digitally, you can open U Version and we have our notes in there. Otherwise, whatever translation you have in paper uh, is just fine. But we're going to dive into this sandwich uh, of stories as we see two more situations that Jesus is powerful over. So, let's work through uh, section by section and unpack what's going on, starting with verses 21 to 24. It says this, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, that is, the original side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Jesus gets back to the other side of the sea where people knew all that he had been doing, right? He had been healing all kinds of people. And by that point, they'd no doubt heard that this guy had calmed a raging storm on the sea. And the hype just keeps growing and growing and growing around Jesus. And everyone wants to know who this guy is and see what's going on. So... They do. They flood him, right? It's this huge crowd around him. But now, here comes this one guy, a synagogue leader named Jairus. Synagogue leaders were lay members of a synagogue who were entrusted by the elders of the community with oversight of the synagogue. So think logistics and with ensuring orthodoxy of teaching. So making sure the preachers didn't say anything crazy. So that's something that you all should be making sure too when we get up here. Make sure we don't say anything Crazy, right? That's a joke. You can laugh. Yeah. Uh, So they weren't professionally trained. They weren't worship leaders per se, but they were certainly men of consequence, right? They weren't nobodies. So Jairus, this synagogue leader, shows up and immediately he falls at the feet of Jesus and he begs him, come heal my daughter. She's dying, Remember earlier in chapter 1 and 2 of Mark, Jesus is healing tons of people, right? And Jairus knew about that. Jairus knew that Jesus was doing all these things. He'd heard what he did, and he came and begged him, come now do this in my home. Come with me. And so Jesus goes. But there's this large crowd pressing against him. All right, so Jesus is making his way uh, to the home of Jairus, and there's this huge crowd. Crowd around him. If you've ever been to like a big conference or concert or maybe more likely a Packer game at Lambeau Field, you can imagine what this crowd was around Jesus. It's people everywhere, right? Picture you're at Lambeau and you're trying to leave the main concourse after the game and there's people everywhere pressing in and bumping in. And if you're an introvert in the crowd, you're like, oh my goodness, get me out of there. My skin's crawling. Think about this. And if you're an extrovert, give me people, right? Especially coming out of a pandemic, you're excited by that. But that's what Jesus is dealing with, people pressing in on all sides and walking with him, right? And then the text picks back up in verses 25 to 34. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? but he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. They're on their way to Jairus's house, right? And Mark inserts this story about this woman. It's a sandwich, right? We have the breads, so we have Gyrus, and then the meat. We have this woman shows up, and then we're going to get back to Gyrus in a little bit. And we're going to talk about why Mark did that uh, towards the end. But for now, what, what happened here, right? Jesus is walking along with this crowd, and this woman who's dealt with continual menstrual bleeding for 12 years comes and touches him. This woman had tried everything to be healed, right? Notice how the language of her situation intensifies. It says she suffered with bleeding. She endured much under many doctors. She spent everything she had and was not helped. But on the contrary, she was made worse. Her situation Is brutal, right? See, in the Torah, that's the Jewish law, a woman was unclean for seven days after her monthly cycle, but if she had a longer gynecological issue, as this woman does, she remained unclean for the duration of whatever was going on. In this case, 12 years. This woman was unclean for 12 years. 12 years is a long time, right? So stop for a second and think about what you were doing 12 years ago. It was 2009. Twelve years ago, I was newly married, just a few months. I was about to graduate college. My life looked nothing like it does now. The world looked nothing like it does now. Twelve years. For twelve years, this woman was not allowed to participate in her faith community. Much like a leper, she was cast out from society, unclean. We can wrestle with God, with why God made the law like he did. But the fact of the matter, the plain fact is that God made the law like he did. And in Jesus' day, the law around things like this was obeyed vigorously. So for 12 years, this woman dealt not only with this terrible physical ailment of bleeding, but with being cut off from her community for 12 whole years. We got a little taste of what it was like to be cut off from each other other over the last year with the pandemic, right? But even then, even though we couldn't gather like we wanted to, we were still able to connect. We could call friends and family members, and we have FaceTime and Zoom and video calling. We have text messages and group chats. We had streaming services, right? Eventually, we gathered outdoors, and then we moved inside. And even though we had to wear masks and we couldn't see each other, we were still able to connect, right? It was hard, but it was nothing compared to what this woman endured for 12 years as she was cut off from her community. This, uh, this next part, this isn't the point of the text at all. I'm just telling you that, but I'm going to take a second and step up on my pastoral soapbox here, and uh, I want to challenge you with something. I want to encourage you to go back to church, especially uh, the online crowd. For those of you who are here, I want to encourage you to be back and keep coming back. If your health is still an issue, I get it. Be safe, stay home, be cautious, keep watching the stream and connecting over Zoom and video calls and text messages and all that. But many of us are able to regather and reconnect physically again. I know that streaming the service is convenient. I know that it's uh, easy, right? And it's tempting and sometimes preferable to sit on our couch in our pajama pants and sip our freshly made hot coffee and watch the service, right? We're done with our obligations by nine thirty. We don't have to wrestle our kids into their clothes. We don't have to deal with awkward interactions with anyone uh, in the foyer as we try to leave. There's no commute. We're already home when the service is done, right? It, it's, it's easier and it's tempting to stay home. But if you settle for online only, you're really missing out. Even when your kids are crabby. Even when your kids are squirrely. Families, bring your kids. We love having squirrely kids in the worship center. It's great. We don't mind having kids here. We love it. We invite that, right? Even when you're not looking your best or when you're tired or you're not feeling like you want to be here, I want to encourage you. Come back and keep coming back. If you're watching from afar and Crossview Church isn't local to you, I want to encourage you to go back. Find a church that is in your area, that's local, where you can go and gather with the saints as God intended us to do. Other believers can come alongside and challenge and encourage and push you to grow in Jesus. And so as you're, as you're considering, should I come back? Should I come to church next week? Should I go in person or should we take the easy way out and stay home where it's comfortable I want to strongly encourage you, come back to church. Keep coming back and gathering as the body of Christ. Make it a weekly priority. All right. Off the soapbox, back to the text. This woman was cut off From her community for 12 years. And she, like Jairus, had certainly heard about all the healing that Jesus has done. And so she comes to him desperate, right? If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. She's tried everything else. What happens is amazing, isn't it? We've seen Jesus is powerful over the storm and the supernatural. And now as this woman touches him, she's healed of an ailment that's been going on for years. Jesus is powerful over sickness. Jesus is powerful over sickness. Jesus feels this power leave him, and he doesn't know who it was, right? We, we talk about this theological idea that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and that's really hard to wrestle with that tension, isn't it? Like, how can Jesus be fully man and fully God? Well, we see a picture of it right here. Jesus, uh, in his fully God, feels this power leave him, and he knows that someone's just been healed after they touched his clothes, but he's also feeling all these people press around him, and he looks around, and he doesn't know who did it. Jesus was limited in his humanity. He was fully man and fully God, and so he says, who touched me? Who, who touched me? Who, who did it? Who touched my clothes? And so the woman comes forward, right, in fear and trembling and falls down before him and tells him everything. No doubt she told him about her physical pain and suffering, about all the money she spent and of the spiritual suffering that she endured for years as she was apart from her people for so long. I knew if I could just touch you, I'd be healed. Daughter, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. This woman, unlike Jairus, was nobody. She was some woman out there, right? People didn't know her deeply. They didn't interact with her because according to the law, anyone who came into contact with her during the day was unclean until that evening. But in spite of who she was, when she touches Jesus, She's healed just like that, just like that. This situation that has plagued her for so long is fixed. She spent so much time and so much money and effort and energy on other solutions that doctors came up with, and she only got worse. She came to Jesus, and she was healed in an instant. We're all like this woman in more ways than we care to admit. It might look different. It almost certainly looks different, but we're all sick. We're all sick sick, right? We're filled with shame for the things that we've done. We're embarrassed by the way that we acted this week at work or for what we said to our spouse or our kids or how we were disrespectful to our parents. We cringe as we remember the awful things that we said and the way that we were exposed for the sinners that we are, right? We feel empty and we know that we need wholeness. And so what do we do? Well, way too often we try to fill that hole inside of ourselves with something else, something less. And it never works, does it? It never works. We, we think, well, if I can just buy this one thing, then I won't need to buy anything else and I'll be happy and I'll be satisfied because I'll have all that I need. Well, that doesn't work. We need the perfect relationship, right? If I can just get this out of my marriage or I can find a man or a woman like this, then I'll be happy and I'll be whole, and it doesn't work. Or a job, or a car, or we complete some collection of things, or whatever. You name it, right? All of those things leave us wanting for more. It's only when we become like the woman who in faith touched Jesus that we're ever filled. When we come to the point that she did, and we realize that nothing else is going to bring us wholeness and restoration, right? Hope is found nowhere else. It's only found in him. It's only found in Jesus. When we come to that place, the whole game changes, right? This woman got there and her life was never the same. She was physically restored. She was spiritually restored back to her community. Her life changed forever. So if this is you this morning, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, if you're trying to fill that hole in your heart with something else, stop just stop. You've realized that you're not whole inside and you're searching for fulfillment. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him. Place your trust in him. It's only there that you will ever experience the freedom of the words that he utters to that woman. Go in peace. Be healed from your affliction. Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy our souls. Well, the second piece of bread in this Mark sandwich is up next, right? We had Jairus, the woman, and now we're back to Jairus. So let's look back at verses 35 to 43. It says this, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him, and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the girl, he took the child by the hand, and said to her, Talita kum, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was twelve years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. People show up from Jairus' house, right, and tell him that his precious daughter has died. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? All hope is lost. She's died. This interruption to the journey by this woman has caused Jesus to be late, and now Jairus' daughter is dead. Jesus overhears this report, right? And uh, it says in our English translation, overhears. But the, the word behind that in the original carries a sense. It means overhears, but it also carries a connotation of overhears and ignores. Jesus overhears and ignores what they were saying because those speaking didn't know what they were talking about, right? Because they didn't know who they were dealing with. They refer to Jesus as the teacher, right? That's a wild underestimation of who Jesus is. They'd heard so much about what he'd done, right? They shouldn't have doubted. They shouldn't have doubted his power here. By this point, they should have understood that Jesus was no regular teacher, but still they struggled. And so Jesus, being God himself, ignores the report and tells Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. He enters the house where people are wailing because this little girl had just died. And Jesus says, why are you doing this? Right? What, are, what are you guys doing? She's not dead. She's asleep. They laugh at him. And he sends them out and goes into the child's room. And he says to her in Aramaic, Talita kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And she does. She does. This little girl was dead and she gets up. Jesus is powerful over the storm. He's powerful over the spiritual realm. He's powerful over sickness. And that's all amazing, right? He's worthy of worship and honor and glory for all of those things. But guys, Jesus is powerful over death. That final enemy, death, has no authority over Jesus. Jesus has all authority over it, and he demonstrates it here. He raised a little girl from the dead. This wasn't something that just happened. It wasn't something that was calm and it wasn't normal. It's as shocking then as it would be today. But in this foreshadowing of our deliverance from death as followers of Jesus, we see the power of Jesus Christ and we see his glory on full display. Jesus is powerful over death. So why the sandwich? Why did Why did Mark smash these two particular stories together? I'm going to suggest it's because of this. Jairus and this woman have only one thing in common, just one. They have no hope apart from Jesus. They have no hope apart from Jesus. In virtually every other way, they are totally unalike right? Jairus was well known. We, in fact, still know his name. It's recorded in the scriptures for uh, all of humanity to read. We know his name. He was a man of status and privilege, right? The woman has none of those things. She's cut off from her community. People didn't know who she was. She's a woman, not a gender that would have been elevated in the first century. The very fact that Jesus was engaging with her, was a big deal and countercultural. Her name isn't recorded here. We don't know her name. And in fact, she's only known for the thing that brought her the most shame and embarrassment in her whole life her 12 years of bleeding. We still refer to her as that woman who was bleeding that Jesus healed. See, it doesn't matter what we bring to the table. It doesn't matter if you're a man of stature, or if you're a woman who has been clean unclean for 12 years. It doesn't matter what you're feeling this morning. If you're feeling super close to God or far from him or somewhere in between, Jesus meets you where you are. Jesus meets you where you are. So we conclude this morning. I have just just a couple of uh, points of application. First, if you're not yet, follow Jesus. Follow him. Follow Jesus. He will meet you right where you are when you turn to him. You won't find satisfaction in anything else. You can search and you can try anything and everything you want, but until you come to Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him, you will never be satisfied. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, good or bad. No one has too much or too little to approach the throne of grace. Turn to Jesus. Come As you are and he will meet you right there. Repent of your sins and in faith believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And just as he healed that woman of her physical ailment and raised the little girl to new life, he will set you free from sin and raise you to new life in him. When you turn to Jesus, just like the little girl, he raises you from death to new life. If you are already following Jesus, I'm going to encourage you with two things. First, take comfort in the one who is powerful over every aspect of this life. There's this misconception out there, right? That when you become a Christian, your life gets easier. But we all know the reality of that and it's just not true. Life is really hard. People get sick. People die. But we serve a God who is powerful over it all. This Jesus is no mere teacher. He's not someone who's worth following because you might hear some pithy saying or hear something motivating, right? Jesus is worth following because he is sovereign and powerful over every aspect of life and death. And so when difficult things come along and come your way, in faith, turn to him. He can handle your situation. Take it to him, take it to Jesus. Second, I want you to grapple with the question that the disciples asked. Who then is this? Who then is this? Wrestle through and consider the one who is powerful over the storm. Powerful over the supernatural, over sickness, and even over death. The one who raised you from death to new life, who washed you in his blood that you might be free from sin and its consequences. And as you do, as you wrestle with who Jesus is, sit in awe and worship him for all that he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth that's found in it. We thank you for our time together this morning and for the way that Mark has reminded us that you meet each one of us right where we are. None of us are too unclean for the blood of Jesus. I ask that you would meet us where we are this morning and speak the truth and the hope of the gospel into us, whether for the first time or the hundredth. We need more of you. As we consider the question the disciples asked so long ago, who then is this? The question, who are you? God, would you show us more of yourself? Would you let us know you deeply and experience the awe and wonder that you and you alone are worthy of? We love you and we thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.